Hey, this is your name, your name, your name. And uh, they say it ain't me. Have their man. Jets got themselves a great Robert Sala. Robert Sala. Talk about all gas, no break, the great one. We're not talking about effort on the field. We're talking about the process at which we do things. I'm not going to lie to you. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Keep your foot on the pedal. There's no way I'm not going to have enthusiasm on the sideline. Hey, own this rep. Own this rep. The New York Jets. We beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. And welcome to the latest edition of the Ain't Easy Being Green podcast, broadcasting you live from beautiful, amazing, picturesque Crystal Lake Studios in Putnam Valley, New York. My name is Keith Farrell. I am joined, as always, by my colleague and co-host, the number one Jet fan in the state of Texas, Michael Lagaris. Everybody, what's up, everybody? And you know him, you love him. The greatest tight end in the history of Maris Fox football. Big stinking looking Nicholas Kronk is in the building. What's up, Wook? What is going on, everybody? Now, we don't have Cousin Sammy again with us, okay? He had some coaching obligations. We'll let him slide one more week. Doesn't show up next week. You're going double secret probation. You could be kicked out the door. All right, Sammy, I'm putting you on blast now because I know you're going to watch this episode, kid. All right? But, guys, what we got going on this week with the Jets? OTAs. You know, I know it's kind of voluntary workouts at the beginning of the season when you get the ball rolling here in the NFL. Storylines still batted about the league. Some guys are still free agents. I know most of these guys are just going through walkthroughs, but you still try to pull any little bit of information you possibly can about your team and how things are going to shape up for the season from these OTAs, Mike. So we're going to walk through, walk through those with you guys in a moment. Before we do that, let's just hit a few topics, guys, that are kind of hard to avoid right now in the NFL. The first one being Deshaun Watson. Now, let's give kudos to Mike here, first of all, because Mike has been saying since day one he did not think this dude was playing this year. Or at worst, I mean, at best, he's getting suspended for half the season. Um, Now it looks like it's trending in a very negative direction for Deshaun Watson. Over the past 24 hours, a 23rd and 24th accuser has come out of the woodwork. I shouldn't say out of the woodwork. That's not the right way to phrase it, but has come out to accuse him of doing some of these same things that got him in trouble in all these previous lawsuits. And I know Mike has been following it down there in Houston, the story very closely. Um, It just seems like this is starting to get to a place, Mike, where it's going to be difficult for the NFL, even if he doesn't have quote unquote criminal charges. They're getting to a place here with some of these accusations some of the things that are coming out of his his lawyer's mouth, Mike, which are just mind-boggling. Uh, he thinks he's helping his client. He's really not. Get to a place, Mike, don't you think, where it's going to be tough for the NFL not to deal out a serious punishment to this kid? I don't know how they have him play. I mean, the details that are coming out right now. Look, Houston is known for its massage parlors. Um, it's known for the quote-unquote happy endings. When I first moved here, you know, people said, hey, stay clear, Westheimer stay clear of route eight they got massage parlors there if you don't see you know spa then whatever i'm sure watson got involved in this and um unfortunately i think he he has a he has a problem and uh these victims are are speaking out and um 
I, I hate what I'm reading and seeing. So this last 24th victim was somebody that was assaulted in her own home. Mm. Uh, she actually is no longer a masseuse because of what happened. And I'll just, oh, if, you, wow. if you guys are all, you know, you want to know, wow. just go ahead and Google it. You'll see the story that came up. But I just don't understand how the NFL could allow this man to play this year. I, I, I don't see how you can justify it especially with the details coming out i know it's a he said she said i get it he's it's not you know uh guilty in a court of law but it is guilty sure. in a court of public opinion yeah and if you're going to green light this man to play under the shield uh it's a bad look for the nfl so we'll see what happens yeah i mean you're innocent to improving guilty I, I totally understand that and i think that um, Deshaun Watson, like everybody else, should have his day to say his side of things here. You don't often see this many, at least in, you know, criminal history, do you often see this many people come out to accuse a person of the same exact thing, doing it in the same way, whatever way he's making these people feel uncomfortable, and then all those stories be a lie? Some people could be piling on. That might be part of this, Mike. But it's getting to a point where it's kind of hard to to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, when this first dropped last year when we spoke, I was like, you know, this seems like it's not right. Deshaun Watson doesn't seem like that type of guy, right? And what how someone seems is not always who they truly are. We all know that. There's a million examples of that. But it just surprised me, Mike. And we spoke about this too, just considering kind of where he was positioned in the league. Well-spoken guy, tremendous athlete, squeaky clean through Clemson. And then this pops up. So at first, I gave him the benefit of doubt, but now we're getting to a point here, like you said, with this woman who you said now doesn't even want to do that job anymore. You know, if you're if you're taking if you're taking the mental or psychological transaction between two people, or maybe Mike, uh, uh, a, a lady or a person that works at one of these massage parlors, that's going to give you a happy ending. Like, like Deshaun Watson's lawyers came out and said this week is not illegal, but <coughs> which I thought it might be, but. I don't know what the laws in Texas are, Mike. You know better than me. But if you're going to go to one of those places, you can't take that same psychology and approach and apply it to a professional masseuse in a private environment because that person is doing a professional job. Like, it just seems like it might be for the Browns one of the worst signings of all time if it plays out to a place where public opinion creates a scenario where you can't even put this guy on the field. We just watched Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, Mike, in this whole civil suit. Yeah, right? yeah. Scary. Yeah. Like, all their dirty laundry, just the whole planet knows about it now, right? That's going to happen probably to Deshaun Watson. And even if he doesn't have, you know, the guts to get up there on the stand or refuses to or pleads the fifth, if two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of these women get up there, Mike, and go, this happened, this happened, and have detailed stories about why he made them feel uncomfortable, whatever the situation was, there's no way around it. You're gonna have a tough time for the Browns to put him out on the field. Look, we haven't got your thoughts yet. I know this thing has been bouncing around now for about a year. It seems like it's picking up steam recently. Um, the Browns, I don't know, they put themselves in an interesting position giving him a fully guaranteed contract to a person that has all these civil suits and more charges coming. What do you think, what's your thoughts on this whole situation? It's, a, it's just a terrible situation all the way around. Um, like you said, last year, based on everything we knew about the kid, we didn't think that you know he would be this type of person. But again, you don't know somebody really until things like this happen, unfortunately. So uh, as far as business goes, I don't know if the Browns made the right decision at this point. Because again, how long is he going to be out? What, what is going on with the situation? It's just nuts. So it's going to be interesting to see how everything works out here.
Peter King said this is the worst contract potentially in the history of the National Football League. I mean, just think about that for a second. Fully yeah. guaranteed 200 plus million. And, uh, you know, you would have thought that they would have done the research and at least knew that, you know, everything was clear. This was the type of investment that this franchise was willing to make. But now what we're seeing, I, I, I feel bad for Brown fans. I do. Um, they're yeah. a tortured fan base. And I am so sorry, but Baker Mayfield is not coming. I can tell you he's going to watch you burn. He hates that <laughs> franchise. He has the one one thing that i felt when baker mayfield was drafted number one overall i said they wow they took the edge from him because he's always been that cat that plays with that i'm an underdog you think i suck i'm gonna bust your ass right mm -hmm. and when he was taking number one overall i was like oh, like he doesn't have that well mm -hmm. he's got it now and yeah, i don't know where he's true. gonna go i don't know if he's gonna be great or not but i know this he he is not going to quarterback the, the browns I yeah can, i can tell you that yeah, Mike, and I, I mean, I, you might be right there. And that's an interesting take, too, man, because he does seem like he's angry at this whole situation and the fact that they went out and get Watson, et cetera. I mean, I can understand Baker's standpoint. I mean, his viewpoint, I should say. But at the same time, Brown's got to do what they think is best in best interest for their organization. But like Peter King said, I mean, what he's kind of what I was saying when I was just bringing up Johnny Depp and stuff is that even if. Because you know how they front loaded, they, I should say they back loaded the contract, Mike. They didn't give him too much money for this year because they thought he might be suspended. And people give them kudos for that, which I understand. But if he has to go to court and these women put him on blast and then you find out for some reason, mind-bogglingly, Deshaun Watson in a creepy way is like a sexual predator to dozens of women. How do you then have him be the quarterback of the Browns? I mean, for reasons that are, you know, a lot of them very politically motivated, Colin Kaepernick never got another shot. Now we've talked about it here, Mike. I don't know if Colin Kaepernick was playing the best when he went out he might have used that to his advantage whatever the case may be but the nfl has shown you many times that public relations matters off the field stuff matters and these teams don't want to you know be dragged down the tubes of some of these accusations so we're interesting to see what happens with watson when it comes to the jets before we get to these otas happier news guys when it comes to the new york jets we got three legends heading into the new york jets ring of honor the 17th 18th and 19th players that will be inducted into the new york jets ring of honor Darrell Revis, Revis Islands, Nick Mangold, and DeBrickashaw Ferguson. Three legends, Mike. Absolute legends. Arguably, those were the three best players from our 2009-2010 run. Look up and down the roster. Plenty of great players on those teams. Plenty of guys that we all love a lot. But I think those arguably might be the three best guys we had on the squad. Then, obviously, we know Revis is going to go to the Hall of Fame. Three-time All-Pro as a New York Jet, Michael. All three of those guys going in together, Mike. How do you feel about that? You know, back when I was a young buck, um, I remember this draft, I wanted Matt Leinard and they didn't take him. They took Darrell Revis. I was tight. I was like, why didn't you get the USC cat? And little, and, and uh, a friend of mine was like, look, this kid out of pit is nasty. And I, you know, little did I know, and my goodness, he's probably the greatest jet I've ever seen. Curtis Martin, Winkler. Yeah, Curtis you know, Martin's like, in Hall of Fame right now. You know, he, 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 you know, Revis at, and, and, and uh, any Jet fan who knows who watched him, the, the year 2009 Revis, you could say Deion Sanders is the better cornerback. Absolutely. You can say a couple of, but I'm, I don't care what no one says. The 2009 Darrell Reeves is the greatest performance at that position in the history of the sport. Go look up all the players he's placed. 
Megatron, all of them. Shut them all down. That's where Revis Island was invented. That was why Rex Ryan's defense was able to do what it was able to do. This is one of the reasons why Sauce Gardner has been drafted and why having a lockdown cornerback is so crucial to a defense. Darrell Revis really defined that. So really was excited to see him go in there and then to brick and mangled. I mean, the left tackle and the center mangled spoiled us Jet fans. We didn't even know what bad center play was. We had a whole generation that dealt with uh, him and then his predecessor before him, who were Mawai, who were Pro Bowl, you know, legends. So I'm so excited to see them go in and um, they, they, and these are, these are good people. That are going yeah. into it. To bring Shaw Ferguson. Yeah. To uh, Shaw Ferguson, same thing. I never missed a game, never missed a snap in his whole career. The only time he missed a snap because they met ran a trick play one time. They pulled him out of the game. So um he never even missed a practice to Brick Shaw Ferguson making all those Pro Bowls. So we know a rocket left tackle forever for us. Nick Bangle, ten time Pro Bowler, Mike. Borderline could be popping in the Hall of Fame also. Um, you know, I think he, he's, he's that yeah. level of player. Um, two-time All-Pro for him, too, with New York. And we know Darrell Revis, 2023, he's going in the Hall of Fame. I mean, everybody knows that. He's one of the best corners of all time. Like Mike said, you can argue other guys. That's fine. But that season he had in 2009, Andre Johnson, Randy Moss, Marcus Colston, Terrell Owens, Steve Smith, Terrell Owens again, Antonio Bryan, Roddy White, Reggie Wayne, Chad Ochocinco, all got shut down. All got shut down by Darrell Revis, okay? Yeah. I know I know. Randy Moss had one touchdown that year, guys. I get it. Don't go crazy. I know he had a touchdown that year, okay? We all know Darrell Revis hurt his hammy on that play, okay? Or at least he pretended like he did to keep the keep the street cred going because the year was going so well. But what a tremendous year that was. Those are three legends. Mike, I can't wait for that game. Can't wait for the game, them to get inducted into the Ring of Honor. Let's talk about some guys now that hopefully are in the future, 20 years from now, getting inducted themselves, Mike. 2022 OTAs. Let's get to it. The situation uh, kind of got heavy on me. Welcome back here. Let's get into a little OTAs talk. Organized team activities kicked off. I know there's a lot of hullabaloo when people don't show up for these things, especially guys in contract beefs. Totally get it. We don't have any of that drama really this year, guys. Becton's not there, Mike. I think it's because he just had a child. And I think Font's not there and Lawson's not there. They're rehabbing injuries. So both those guys will be ready to rock and roll by the time uh, training camp starts here. A lot of new players on the field. This is one thing Mike wanted to get into when it comes to OTAs. We're going to rock through Zach. We're going to talk you how, tell you how sauce looks. Mike has, Mike's been following every single day, nonstop. We're going to run through it for you guys. But big picture, Mike was talking to me about the way Salah's going through these practices, you know, and I think Mike was saying that they have a lot of new players, a lot of new faces out there. Do you think it is or isn't? And I'm going to ask you, Mike, because you threw it at me, but now that we're chopping up on the podcast, I'm going to throw it at you first. When it comes to the way co- the coach is running the practice, Salah, with so many new faces out there, I know you said it's kind of been very, not lax in so far as the intensity, but they're not really going 100%. They're kind of doing walkthroughs on everything. Are you, are you saying you really wish they would kind of go a little harder here at practice? You wish he was pushing them harder because they have so many new guys? Or do you kind of agree with the way coaches running practice? You know, it's been a very light touch from the th- from what I've heard. And uh, they've been, you know, they've been doing positional drills, some 11 on 11, seven on seven, but it, it's been very light. And I question, you know, I understand it's OTAs. I understand it was May, it's early June now, I get it. But a team this young, a team that, you know, essentially won four games last year, who's won six games, in the last two years, you know, with all these players and, and, and going into the second system, 
I understand that you're trying to limit injuries. I get it. But do we really want to be going half speed right now? Or do we want to be getting all our timings in? Do we want to be going full throttle and get these guys, you know, these young men used to the full speed and beastness of what is the NFL, right? Um, I don't know if I understand this is where the league is going, but I, I just kind of feel like Salah, you know, he, he's taking this approach and he, he's scared to death of cats getting hurt. He used to coach on the Jacksonville Jaguars and uh, Dante Fowler when he was drafted third overall um, as a defensive end. He, in OTAs, tore his uh, ACL, was out for the season. You know what I'm saying? Salah was right there. Young cat. Just saw his his beast cat just go down. And he's like traumatized. So he's yeah. just, you know, has these guys half speed. And I, I understand. I, I, I get it. And the Jets are the most, you know, bug bit, injury bitten team I can even remember. But you know what? I'm kind of like, yo, you need to get after it right now. I mean, some of these position drills, I would, I'd be going all the way. But that's just me. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I know they drafted... I think we drafted seven rookies in the draft this year. I know we drafted 10 last year. So, and most of the, most of the guys are obviously still here. So, I mean, that's a lot of first and second year players. You add in all the undrafted guys they brought in this year, Mike, after the draft, that's a lot of new faces. So I think that might have, or a lot of young faces, I should say, that might have more to do with it than anything. I think Lawson getting injured last year I know it was in training camp, but I think that also might have an effect on Salah Mike. Like you said, he's already had it happen to him once. Last year, we're all excited about Lawson, and then um, he goes down, which was, which was, you know, obviously very traumatizing to the team and your hopes for the defensive line. So I think that's just the approach. I'm not going to read, at least at this point, if we get into training camp and it seems like the pedal's off the metal, I'll be more concerned. I mean, we came out last year, we did lose our first three games before we beat the Titans, and kind of last year he ran... OTAs and training camp kind of the same way. So maybe you do have to crank it up. I mean, whatever works. If the Jets come out and win, no one's going to criticize the OTA approach. If they come out and lose and you repeated the same approach to last year's preseason and OTAs and they start slow again, maybe you look back and say, man, you got to push them a little harder in the offseason. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But when, I mean, when it comes to our main, the main topic, our boy Zach Wilson, I know that first day he was a little up and down. But overall, Mike, there's some specific things in the offseason this whole time, in OTAs, in training camp, that the Jets are looking at, that Salah's looking at, that Jet fans should be looking at as the spots you want to see improvement for him from year one to year two, Mike. Why don't you tell Jet fans about some of those? You know, uh, there was a national writer who started talking about Zach was struggling in camp um and that was because in the first section of 11 on 11s he went one for four or something like that and and then as the camp as the day went on he got in seven sevens he looked really good and there's this narrative going out there i would jeff fans it, whether he's good or bad it's it's early guys brand new you know there's a bunch of new teammates i would not i would take things with a grain of salt but you know as far as the off season goes uh zach wilson really has done everything right he has uh taken his body very very seriously and he's added the weight where it's needed um in the lower half his legs his hips you know where you could put that torque um in on that ball when you're, you're ripping it across the field um he has done what he's needed to do to really make sure he understands the full language of the scheme uh it sounds like he has command 
in the huddle. He has confidence in showing his uh, his passion and his leadership among teammates. So um, it looks like Zach has taken the steps needed to not only get the confidence of his wide receivers and his coaches to show, hey, I went out and met Elijah out where he was and I I met Corey Davis where he was and I've learned the system. So when Mike LaFleur already passes a play, I already know what it is. I'm already putting people in place. So all those things sound really good for Zach Wilson, but really the fourth main tenets around what Zach needed to do this offseason was number one, slowing the game down. Mm. Instead of, you know, full speed, you know, trying to process everything, you know, slow it down, brother. Slow it down. Understand how the plays are developing. Um, the other part was developing timing. And that has to do with eyes. That has to do with putting your eyes where you need to put them, when you need to put them, and then be able to deliver mechanically and in rhythm with your receivers. That's something he struggled with last year, big time. So that, uh, along with processing, so not trying to le- read the entire field, all of the defensive players and trying to break down all their schemes, you know, understand where your eyes are and where that play is breaking down and where to go to next. Those are the things he's worked on. And um, that's going to be paramount for him uh, this year. We're going to see what he does, but he struggled a lot with his mechanics, his timing. I've got, of course, he has the sick arm talent and you know, he can do things with the ball that most other quarterbacks can't do um, just from a talent, arm talent perspective. But he struggled with timing, with mechanics, with being able to read defenses. These are this is one on one quarterbacking stuff. Mm-hmm. So I hope he has all of that down packed. And then we'll get to see um, a leap here in year two. So it sounds like he's done everything right, guys. And we will see coming in the preseason what he's done. And then obviously going into Baltimore week one. Look, let me ask you when it comes. I mean, this might seem like a no-brainer. But last year, I know the Jets had Michael Carter. They had Ty Johnson. As the year went on, they didn't really run the ball a lot because they were getting smashed all the time. But I don't think we really had a run game anyone was worried about. You know, coming into this year, I think with the new offensive line we have, Wook and Brees Hall, I think now teams are going to have to be very concerned with the Jets running it up on them, right? And the fact that that's going to be part of our game here, the fuck out the run game, can we control the clock, we can dictate the pace of the game. Is that not going to be able to help Zach do all these things? Mike's saying that that'll slow the game down in itself. I mean, that'll help him develop better timing because you can kind of do some play action. Now he's only throwing half the field. Aren't all those things, don't you think those things will help him this year be a better quarterback? Oh, absolutely. You get a running game that's consistent and defenses have to worry about that, stopping it at least more than a few times here or there a quarter. Uh, absolutely, because then Zach is free to um, just – you know, get every all the calls right, make the plays right at the line of scrimmage. He does. We're running the game. You know, we're pounding the ball against these guys. Yep. It's going to open up the defense a little bit for me. I don't have to be perfect. I just got to make the right throw when it calls for it. So I think it's it'll help out a lot. Yeah, and you saw it with a quarterback like Lamar Jackson. Like they're they're so now he runs the ball himself. But my point is that teams are so scared of the running game of the Ravens, be it him or someone else. How many play action passes to a wide open tight end has Lamar Jackson thrown? I mean, oh, God almighty, guys, we see it every single week, right? And if you can pound the ball on teams, I mean, Tannehill had ridiculous stats with the Titans for a few years because who are they worried about? They're worried about Derrick Henry. 
You know, we, and I don't think Jet fans realize we might be putting ourselves in that, in that category with the way we run our offense. Zach might eat this year. Zach might have less, less pass attempts this year than last year and have way better stats. And if he can do the things Mike's saying, I mean, the simple things, if he can just do those things, um, I think obviously the offense will improve and him as a quarterback will be able to kind of grow into the season as the year develops here. Give him a little bit more as the year goes. Um, I know you said he's bigger, Mike, which is tremendous. I hope he runs the ball a little bit more, too, because it seemed like that became more of his game the end of last season. And if he's a threat also running the ball besides the Jets run game, I mean, then teams are going to have a problem because, you know, he's pretty fast. The other guy that's one of the main events or the number one topics here when we come into OTAs, Mike, and will be for training camp as well heading into the season was the number four pick of the draft, our boy Sauce Gardner. Obviously, the coach loves him, saying yeah. a lot of wonderful things about him, Mike. Yeah. DJ Reed said, at the line of scrimmage in press coverage, the dude is absolutely dominant. And DJ Reed's been in the league for a hot minute. You don't really hear guys give those type of specific comments to the guy they're potentially battling for the number one cornerback spot not very often at corner or wide receiver do you hear that no. dj reed loves them too mike um sauce has been tearing it up from all reports mike why don't you tell the jets uh, the jet fans how he's been doing in otas so when we first heard about makai beckton i remember right away we were happy because the reports were wow he looks like he belongs right away he was making an impact and when the rookie his rookie year beckton did solid i mean we all were like yo look at him he's doing great you know that's why a lot of us have a lot of hope for makai coming up because we know he belongs and very similar to makai sauce even though in limited action and not getting to bryce hall um he has been running with the ones and twos guys um it is notable how big sauce gardner is he's a big guy yeah, I mean, you just go on the field, you're like, oh, who's that number one cat right there? Mad long cat. And um, he he has a presence. And to DJ Reed's point, um, press coverage, he's all over you. Um, there's plays where he covered uh, Elijah Moore. Perfect timing route. We were just talking about Zach Wilson's timing. And he got right on to where the catch point is, where the ball was perfectly placed and just knocked it out of his hands. Mm. Um, you can feel it. And we know that Salah said, dude, you got to earn your spot. But from everything we're hearing and what he's been doing already, I mean, it's OTAs and he doesn't even know yet, like the full, you know, he's still learning. He's going to be starting week one. I mean, you could pretty much book it because <laughs> like TJ Reed said, I mean, at, from a man press uh, perspective, you know, you just throw this dude on whoever and um, he's going to cause problems. Again, he's got to learn some things. Again, there's some footwork stuff there, you know, some, some, some techniques that he can work on. But as far as just being a presence, he's got it already, man. Yeah, I know Coach Salah said that he's going to have to earn his playing spot. I think that's kind of his mantra here with all the rookies, you know, which which is fine with me. Um, I'm pretty sure we can guarantee Sauce Gardner is going to be out there on a week one, guys. I think you can put that one to the bank. Um, but also, Salah says he absolutely loves him. The kid can do it all. I know he had some comparisons here to Richard Sherman. He's a much, much faster player than Richard Sherman. I think the comparison are more size comparisons, Mike, when it comes to 40 time, when it comes to those left and right lateral movements, I think that Sauce is a lot faster than Richard Sherman was. Can I can I ask uh, Nick a question? Yeah. 
Nick, if you had the number one pick in the SEFL draft coming up and I said to you, you could only take a receiver, who would you take? That's a good question. Um, Dynasty. This is Dynasty. And I, I would, jeez, oh, Mike, uh, either Wilson or the kid from um, South Dakota that went to Green Bay. I, um, oh, yeah, I know. Watson. Watson. Watson, yep. Yeah. Yep. So you yep. would consider Garrett Wilson? I would consider it. I mean, I've, I, he's mm. got, they got to break out at some point, Ohio State wide receivers. So the reason why I asked you is when I look across the board at the rookie receivers, like, you can look at Drake London, but his quarterback situation is suspect. Like, yeah, he could be good, but, like, I don't like that situation at all. Uh, you can look at Sky Moore, nasty Mahomes, but how good we, – we like Sky Moore. How good is he really? You know? Who knows? Right? Uh, Watson, I've heard some issues with drops. You know, he's got Rodgers, but how long is Rodgers going to be there? You know, Traylon Burks, uh, he's over there at Tannehill, and, and they drafted the kid from Liberty. I don't know if I really like that situation, you know what I'm saying? So when I look at all these receivers, you know, Garrett Wilson may be the diamond in the rough because if he hits, he's got young Zachary back there. I mean, you're talking <laughs> – you know what I'm saying? Like, look at it. Like, of all the receivers – he has a lot of upside. I love, like, if the situation breaks. And from what we're hearing about Garrett Wilson at camp is that he is very into the details. Mm. He's learning the routes. He's doing, asking all the questions, doing all the right things. The kid is, first thing, from a pedigree perspective, dad was in the NBA. Mom also is a pro. So he knows the, to walk the walk. Do you know what I'm Like Mahomes. Mahomes' mm. dad was a Met. Dude knows how, what sport that that is really important. You know what I'm saying? Like, because a lot of these kids that come in the league, they don't know what it's like to be a professional. Walk the walk, talk the talk, do what's got to be. It's Garrett Wilson already knows what the deal is, right? Garrett, Will, Garrett Wilson has incredible skills, especially in the air, being able to contort his body and do whatever is needed to be done to come down with the ball. So I see him uh, so far. He's not starting. Braxton Berrios is starting in the slot. Uh, Elijah's at the two. Corey is at the X. Will that hold, Keith? Mm. I don't know. I I don't know. I, I would say that if Garrett does start, um, that is a testament to him because Berrios is no slouch. Like him and him, if you remember at the end of the season, Berrios was doing his thing you know he was a weapon yeah he he was doing his thing you could see it him coming into being that all-purpose and i bet you they're still going to be running barrios in a lot of different uh plays uh with lafleur and he's very comfortable with zach but if if zach if uh if garrett wilson can start here's my opinion this kid is going to be a machine because uh to get in ahead of barrios or with elijah and Corey. He's going to have to be putting, you know, strong value on the field. And I think so far he's got the right attitude in getting there. Yeah, I agree with you 100 percent. I mean, everything you hear about the kid, Zach Wilson said that he seems like a sponge when it comes to the playbook and his acumen with the X's and O's, which is definitely what you want to hear. I mean, I hate to say it this way, 
but it's kind of the opposite of what we heard about Mims, right, Mike? When it comes to just the grasping where he should be, the playbook, all those type of things. We'll get into Mims in a second. But, I mean, the route running skills is what he's really been able to show off here in OTAs because you can't show too much. I know I heard that Sauce was able to handle Garrett Wilson, and then people somehow criticized Garrett Wilson. Guys, Jet fans, Jet fans, hear me out for a second. If we want Sauce Gardner to be our number one lockdown dude, basically from day one, which is what we're hoping for him to be great right away. He better lock down Garrett Wilson in practice because we got Tyreek Hill coming. We got Diggs coming. We got a whole lineup. Look at look at the look at the schedule. We have a murderer's row of wide receivers we're hitting this year. So yeah, he better be shutting down Garrett Wilson and OTAs. I'm happy to hear that, okay? Um, I'm sorry to say that to you, Garrett Wilson, but you're not gonna have a guy like Sauce on here every single week, considering the fact that we got Elijah Moore out there, that we have Corey Davis. I don't know if he's gonna be the guy teams are keying in on right away, Mike. So like you said, if he does get a chance, I'm sure he's gonna ball out. I mean, this is somebody that, with his acumen, like you said, the skills, the hands, playmaking ability, scored a ton of touchdowns. Um, I don't see how he's not out there getting a ton of targets next year, at least the second half of the year. Just like last year, Mike, it took Elijah Moore a little while to, I know he was hurt, but at the end of the year, he heated up. You know, six touchdowns, I think those last five games, he was tremendous. Him, Wilson, Davis, that's a, that's a nice threat right there, those three. And Barrios too, I mean, he's another guy that the last four or five games of the year turned himself into a little weapon in the passing game also. Um, that leads us to another guy, Mike. I know you said Mims came into to the OTAs, he looks good, which is the least you can do. Um, but he looks good out there. I mean, the Jets also, from a propaganda standpoint, like you mentioned, Mike, have to kind of market it that he does look good because maybe they want to trade it. Maybe they want to get a little piece from. If you have Barrios and Davis and Moore and Wilson, normally that fifth and sixth receiver you have on the squad, you have there for depth, and they also play special teams. We've been through this a million times, guys. Denzel Mims didn't really embrace special teams last year. He doesn't really play special teams. Not saying he can't do it. I don't think Mike's saying he can't do it. But if he does want to crack the squad, Mike, He's going to have to approach these this this um, training camp with a different attitude, at least his approach to special teams, because he's probably going to need to have that be part of his game if he wants to make the team. Do you agree? You guys, you guys saw, or the more time that goes by, the more I see what um, JD's plan was all along. You can see that we needed Corey Davis. Why? Because JD's plan was, I'm going to draft a wide receiver, in his first year, develop him, and that's going to be my alpha, my my go receiver. And Mims just didn't end up being the guy, right? Mm -hmm. he, or he hasn't. So Corey Davis is there. But truly, Mims should be there. That's what he was drafted for, guys. All right? So look at what was the other hole? Safety? Yeah, we took Ashton Davis. Remember that? He didn't work out. So what did JD do? All right, I'll go get LaMarcus Joyner. If everything was supposed yeah, to go to plan, in. if everything went to plan, Ashton Davis is sitting at safety. <laughs> yeah, and, and Whitehead wouldn't be on the Jets, probably. Exactly. So you're probably right. But it didn't work out, right? Like they and and he's not not every GM is gonna hit it on the mark, guys. Yeah. But what I'm essentially what I'm trying to say here, if Denzel Mims wants to play as a New York Jet, he's gonna have to beat out Corey. That's what he's gonna have to do because he doesn't play any special teams. Okay, you're not playing in the slot. You're the X. You're the you're the stretch cat. Okay, you're the one that goes deep. You're the you're the big dude in the end zone that's able to. Corey is right now that dude. If Mims, if you're gonna go out and you're gonna make this team, you're gonna have to beat him out. Yeah. Or you're gonna have to make coach and everybody say, you know what, Denzel is here. And 
it's unfortunate you had that second season and i'm sorry that you had covid i'm sorry that you had like uh you know all of the stuff with your with your sicknesses but you want to make the new york jets you want to make the nfl man you got to go in there and do it because look i believed in you i believed in you i saw you i loved what i saw i loved your skill set i love i love the speed go out there and show them what the deal is man like all of us here are just pissed that you're not out there just wrecking shop. You don't even have a touchdown yet. Yeah. Go do and your also, thing. I mean, he's had every opportunity here to kind of seize the moment with our wide receiver injuries, especially last year. And he basically didn't even get a target. He couldn't even get anything accomplished. So, I mean, that might be play calling, but I think if he was showing it in practice, they'd be giving the ball to him in the game. So, I mean, there has to be a transfer from there. But going from someone that, you know, maybe, maybe not going to be on the team this year to somebody that has a tremendous addition to the locker room here, Mike. You've been hearing a lot of good things about DJ Reed. Seems like a real positive guy, a leader in the locker room, potentially. Um, what do you got to say about him and his kind of impact he's made on the team so far? Completely focused. He's been completely focused, team-oriented, team everything they talked about. And he's also looked really, really good so far in OTAs. Again, it's just OTAs. But he's that voice. He knows Sally. He knows the scheme. He's going to be great making sure that teaching guys, not just like Sauce, but Brees Hall and, and Eccles and Pinnock and all of our youngsters, that cornerback. I, I'm, I'm, I got to tell you guys, I'm, I'm so excited about our cornerback group, our secondary. I really am with Michael Carter, the second, you know, our boy Jabil and Gidry. We got, we got, we got dudes back there. We got, yeah. we got dudes. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, Cats are sleeping on the jet secondary. Um, they're just like, oh yeah, <laughs> like Tyreek. I'm not afraid of Tyreek Hill, especially with that little spit gun quarterback that they have back there. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not fearing Tyreek Hill. Am I fearing Stefan Diggs? You know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I don't really want to mess with that dude, you know, but um, he may be one of the few that I'm like, oh my goodness. But I, I think the Jets are gonna do very well in the secondary this year. Yeah, and speaking of Pinnock, um, Mike, I know they've been experimenting with him at safety here in OTAs, and apparently he looks decent. Is that an option there? I mean, Ashton Davis, I know, had an injury last year again, but we have Ashton Davis, we have Joyner, we have I mean, we know Whitehead's going to be out there balling. Is that someone that seems like an option at safety also? I know we know our boy Sal likes to rotate guys in and out. He seems like someone that's going to get some more playing time at safety next year. Yeah, it looks like he's playing a lot at safety, and they really like him there. Um, you know, he I think he played a little bit of that last, at the end of the last year, uh, Pinnock. But, you know, when we drafted Pinnock and Eccles, we talked about it on our draft show. There was a lot of upside with those two. Yeah. And uh, I think the I think Hamza Nazaldine, Jamie and Sherwood, Pinnock, and Eccles – I think that the Jets like all four of those guys. I really do. I feel like they are part of the plan in the future. Not that they're starters, but they're that those that they're going to be those backups that are dependable when the time is needed. Mm. And um, who knows? Pinnock may end up being the starting free safety. Who knows? I don't know. But he's getting a significant amount of time at safety, um, which is pretty pretty uh pretty cool to see um let me let me ask uh nick this question nick um who did you like better as a as a prospect saquon barkley or Brees hall and you're probably gonna say barkley i understand but <laughs> i just wanted to ask 
Well, at the time, Barkley, because of obvious biases. But if I really if I really look at it, Hall is going to be a hell of a running back. He really is. Uh, so, but at the time, I, w- I would have said Barkley. I'm not so, going to lie. And I agree. I would have said Barkley, too. I, I took him number two in our dynasty league, a running back. Okay. And you don't usually do that unless you really believe the guy. And I thought he was going to be Barry Sanders. It's unfortunate for you guys. But, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to get all pissed off because whatever. But, um, Brees, um, what I'm hearing, the vision is great. Um, there was a recent podcast on the play. I think it was on the Play Like a Jet podcast where there was an interview on one of the coaches that developed Brees Hall. And he worked with. Uh, Ricky Williams and he said that in his whole lifetime the only other running back that remind that had the power speed to power um, that Ricky Williams had was Brees Hall nice and 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 I Keith I don't know if you guys know this but like Ricky Williams was like he was like the John Elway prospect of running backs oh, I don't know if cats know <laughs> like yeah. he he would before he came out now when he came in the NFL whatever right but as a prospect Ricky Williams was like what, what didn't Dicka like dress yeah, up in a I think he gave up like four first round picks to get him something yeah. wild I'm gonna look it up right now hold on yo the Saints gave up like their whole Nick it, it was until Breeze came later that they actually started having success because they gave up like literally three years of, of value for this. Oh, it was dude. nuts. Dick was, was in the crazy uh, in the tuxedo. Williams was in the <laughs> wedding dress. In the nineteen ninety nine draft, the Saints and Dicka traded every pick they had in the draft. Every pick they had in the draft. And three more picks the following year. No bullshit. To get Ricky Williams. No, no, no. I don't believe it. Oh my God. I don't believe it. Every it's, pick in the they draft. They traded every pick in the 1999 draft. I should say, let me, let me correct myself. Every pick in the 1999 draft plus two of its first three picks in the year 2000 draft oh, to, wow, to get Ricky Williams. Goodness, so Nick. he had a lot of. No wonder the guy had a lot of anxiety and pressure. And Ricky Williams oh, was. Oh my! He word. didn't come into his own until he went to Miami, and then he was absolutely ridiculous. He him and Ronnie, sick. him and Ronnie Brown were a problem when they were together down there. Um, he Can was you imagine though if he was just like locked in from the beginning? Like, well, this is like- the whole thing that I I do. I don't think diehard Jet fans are naive to this. But maybe on the national scene or people that aren't fans of the Jet don't realize that we all love Zach Wilson and we love these receivers. But I think this offense is going to be running through Brees Hall next year. Absolutely. And because because of that, the byproduct of that is just going to help Zach Wilson. Yeah. and If it's third and three, Mike, right, and the Jets have the ball, third and four, they just have the ball. They could run the ball to get a first now. They're not 100% going to gonna just throw the ball. Now, like last year, every, they were so predictable on third down. You knew what they were going to do all the time. Um, now, maybe it's play action. Maybe Zach has a wide open field. There's a wide open tight end. Or he can just run the, run the ball himself. So a lot of options are open up. And I'm happy to hear that Brees is doing well. One of the guys that's going to be protecting for him, our boy Makai Becton, Mike, you said he's down there in Texas training at both left tackle and right tackle in the event that's where he gets moved to. Is that true? Yep, that's true. He's down here doing all the things he needs to do. Jets are not mad at him. He just had a kid. I mean, if I had a kid, I'm not at practice. I'm being a dad. Okay, so but completely get it. He will be at minicamp, so we're all excited to see what he's going to look like. I think Carl Lawson still rehabbing. Fant maybe still be rehabbing, so we may not see them until training camp, but we still we will see Makai. And I'm excited for Makai. Like, I, I know this is a big year for him, and 
you know, any human being that comes in looking like Jupiter and being able to move the, 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 the you know, ends of the earth, that is something I, I love to see. I want to see somebody like that on the mind line. He's an absolute savage. So I'm a fan. I love Becton and I really hope that, you know, he comes in and he changes the narrative. The unfortunate part, the reality, Jet fans, is that I don't think this coaching staff likes him. I'm being dead serious. I just don't think they like him. I think they're saying the things they want to say. I don't know if they're fans. So, look, JD didn't draft anybody as a replacement. So that's a big sign right there that they're fully in on Beckton. Yeah. Until I see LaFleur, until I see Sala embrace this kid and talk about him like the way they talk about Zach, like the way they talk about everybody else that they like. You know, I'm skeptical. And I'm not skeptical on 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 Makai. I'm skeptical on does this coaching staff embrace leftovers? Happy endings from the other one. You know, <laughs> sorry, to, I don't mean to use that as a pun, but I'm just saying, you know, he's leftover from Tie Gates. it back in. That that professional podcast work. You tied it back in to the beginning of the show, Mike. That's how you do it. Um, you know, the walking eclipse, as we nicknamed him on the show, I think at least he has his head right here in the offseason. I don't think they're praising him because they are disappointed in how last year went. I know you can have injuries. I know that sometimes there's nothing you can do about those things. But if you're someone who's operating at his size, you need to take care of yourself. You got to take care of yourself in the offseason, which he didn't do last year. Then when he came to camp, he's overweight, and that led to a lot of issues. Um, that's not something that professional athletes do. When you're a professional, I mean, when you're a veteran, you look back and wish when you were younger you took care of yourself better because you could play longer. That's what these guys are trying to stress to Makai Becton now. But to hear that he's practicing there at left tackle and right tackle, I like to hear that because it shows you he's flexible. He just wants to get out there and play. That's what I want to hear, Mike. I don't want to hear drama or none of that. Nick, what do you, Elijah Vera Tucker got drafted to be a left guard. They called him the moment they got Langan Tomlinson. Actually, we reported it on AEBG. Ask Keith, Keith and I, we talked about it. We said, you know what? Watch AVT go to right right guard because Lincoln Tomlinson is a Pro Bowl left guard. You know what I'm saying? And then yep. it happened. And then it happened. You know. And you know what? They said they called him and he was ready to go. He's like, Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 in. I'm in. I'm buying. Right? Yeah. When you see that from these young kids, you know that's a good sign that they're all in on the team and not in. They're not in on I. They're in on team. Right. Oh, absolutely. You, you love it. I mean, when, when kids that young uh, buy into that, well, I mean, you buy into it as a player your whole life, but at some point, you know, some egos, some personalities get bigger than the teams that they're on at the time that they're on them. But it's nice to see when you get to this level that they're all like, all right, we're all nobodies here right now, but as, you know, together we can be something special and we have to play that way. So it's I think it's important for young kids to feel that way. And, and say the right things to uh, to uh, to relay that to the fans as well. Yeah, and one of the reasons I was excited about the Jets maybe taking AVT back when they had the 2021 2020 draft, even 2021 draft, was the fact that he's so versatile. Me and Mike talked about he plays right guard. We played left guard. He can play right guard. He can play tackle. And he's showing you that right away season two. I mean, he played pretty good last year at left guard. I think most teams would be a little hesitant to draft, or I should say to grab a guy in free agency like we did and move him. But the fact that he's so versatile made that easy, and now the whole line is stacked. 
So, I mean, that's tremendous work there by ABT. We want to get into one more thing before we get out of here, guys. As a stat, Mike was mentioning to me in regards to our defensive line. And we're going to keep an eye on this here when it comes to, um, you know, preseason, when the year starts. Because, Mike, you want to get into it here when it comes to Quinnen Williams' this defensive line and how it really seems like Quinnen's not really out there for the amount of snaps all these other elite defensive tackles are out there for. Yeah, Jeff Ulbrich said that the defensive line players are going to play 30 to 35 reps a game, essentially. This is what he's saying. And when you go back and you look at the defensive snaps that Quinton Williams has played on uh, in his career, he's only played over 70% of the snaps in a game four times in his entire career. None last year. He hasn't that he didn't last. And when you look at Aaron Donald, you look at other play, great defensive tackles, and I'm talking specifically defensive tackles, what uh, um, Quinn plays, they play over 70%. And I think his Keith has some of the numbers there. So I under, I get where Earl Brick's going because, you know, you got guys that are fresh, you know, but I, I don't, I don't agree with it because I agree with putting your best players out there uh, more than you know you you usually would i mean not usually would you would play your best players and there's a reason because they're the best they have the best skills they win more they understand how to break down defenses you get guys that are fresh understood but they're not skill wise as good as your best players and you know yes we got to manage them make sure that they're getting all the things they they, they need to get but how is how is quinnon williams supposed to rack up pro bowl numbers how is he supposed to get his money if he's only going out there for 30, 35 snaps a game and not ever hitting 70%. So I, I don't agree with it. And um, I think that Quinnen needs to be utilized more. I, I ha We have seen, collectively, we have seen Quinnen. <laughs> well, me and Keith, I know there's times, Nick, me and Keith, there's times I'm like, yo, did you see how many sacks that were? How many run stops this dude had? How many pass breakups this dude had? Yeah. Like, oh, well, like, yeah. we, we talk about it. We're like, yo, he impacted that game. Like, I've seen it. We need to put him out there more. He's got to go in. First thing, go out there, go get your money. And Albrick needs to understand, play your best players, okay? I understand the, the concept of, of, of keeping guys fresh. But when you have a great player like Quinn and Williams, who we believe is great, make sure everyone knows that he's great. Yeah, I'm right with you, Mike. I always I think, like, is a... Is a player who's not really comparable to Quinnen, who's a backup. Let's just say, is Sheldon Rankins playing 30% of the game when he's at 100% energy better than Quinnen getting those snaps at 80% energy? Probably not, because Quinnen's our best player on defense. You know, and when you look at what he's been able to do in his career statistically without even playing 70% of the snaps, like you said, Mike, it's kind of impressive. But you do have to have your best guys out there. I mean, if you were to ask the Buffalo Bills, would you rather Quinn and you know Williams play ninety percent of the of the snaps or seventy? What do you think they're going to say? What do you think? The other, what do you think these other teams are going to say? Of course, they want him out there as little as possible because he's a disruptor and a really good player. Aaron Donald, for instance, plays eighty nine percent of the snaps pretty much every season. He's right under ninety percent. Look at Cam, that. Cam Hayward last year played eighty one percent of the snaps. 
And you can go right down the list of all the top defensive tackles. These guys are playing above 80%. They're in there for most of the game. Um, I mean, most teams aren't substituting offensive linemen in and out the whole game. You know, they'll go right down the field with the same line for the most part. So I understand you wanting to stay fresh, but I need Quinnen Williams on the field more. I need Carl Lawson on the field all the time. I need these guys that are going to make an impact playing more than a fresh backup. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they'll know better than us. If a guy needs a puff, he needs to go on the side and take a breath. It's fine. It is I mean, nobody I mean, plays 100%. I don't, I don't mean to say, I don't mean to bring this to basketball, but go back and watch the Chicago Bulls back in the 85, 86, you know, not when Jordan, you know, wasn't, they played him like the whole game. <laughs> like we're talking fourth quarter, tired, played like the whole game, right? Yeah. They're not bringing anybody in. <laughs> It's Michael. He's he's no. tired, and they did not taking him out. You know what I'm saying? Like, no. you're, and I'm using this as an example of you have a the talent is just too good, even at seventy percent. Like bringing in Ron Harper and PJ Armstrong it, at a hundred percent, it's not even close. No. Now again, that's way way uh per extreme. But essentially, what Keith and I are saying are is. You got to play Quinnen, man. He's your best player. Play him, man. If you want to do the other guys, you want to keep, you know, see what the deal is, fine. But not your best player. Yeah, right? especially. I mean, when you look at the numbers, when you sent me that info, Mike, when I saw he had never played above 70% in the game, you're like, what is going on? I understand when they're rookies, you ease him into the game. That makes sense. But he's borderline Pro Bowl a couple of years ago. I thought he should not last year. Last year he had a bit of a down year. But like you said, he wasn't out there really for the snap count to build it up. And you know, while you want your best guys out there as much as humanly possible, I hope that's the route they go with Quinn. And I hope he's out there destroying people all season, Michael. All right, that's all we got for you this week, guys. We'll be back next week with some more takes on the Jets. We're going to be heading into training camp soon. All types of stuff to talk about. Maybe maybe by next week we'll know what's going on with Sean Watson a little bit more. Who the heck knows, guys? But if anyone does want to get in touch with us, Mike, or be involved in the AEBG world in any way, shape, or form, how can they do that? On Facebook, you can reach us at AEBG.JetsRadio. On Twitter, at AEBG underscore NYJ Podcast. And on Instagram, at Jet.AEBG. You heard the man on behalf of the biggest Jet fan in the state of Texas, Michael Agaris, on behalf of the greatest tight end in Maris Fox football history, the big Wookiee, Nicholas Cronk, and on behalf of myself, Keith Farrell. Good you next week, everybody. Peace out. Yeah.